99% of those apps or those ovulation predictor kits that people are using, they're not accurate for PCOS. I know like the clear blue one says right on the box, like do not use, not accurate if you have PCOS. What those test kits are picking up is your, um, your boost in LH, your luteinizing hormone, which is what actually tells your body to release an egg. But unfortunately with PCOS, our cycles are long. Your body tries several times throughout the month to release an egg. So your LH is actually chronically high and then your body actually becomes not as sensitive to it. So it just stays high. So when you do those tests, you're very, very likely to get a false positive. I mean, you can use those as a backup method, like using the symptothermal method. Um, we look at your cervical fluid and your basal body temperature. So those can be good to confirm if you're ovulating, if you have the signs of, you know, the egg white cervical mucus and your temperature is doing the right thing and you take one of those tests, okay, then it's probably accurate. But if you're just relying on those, I know I'm in a ton of Facebook groups helping women answer their questions. And all you see in there is like pictures and pictures and pictures of all of these ovulation test strips. And I just want to scream from the rooftops, like, please stop wasting your money, like throw them in the garbage. They're not good for PCOS. So, you know, your doctor will end up telling you, you know, just have sex every second day. But if you have PCOS, like, you know, like, that's just not fun anymore. Like, it's just not romantic. Like that not fun you know, for becomes anybody. a job. Yeah. Like, Jesus, it's awful. Like I was there, I tried it. And I know from personal experience that that can be hard on a marriage because like people are wasting their time, energy and money using those methods, unfortunately. Welcome to Your Body's Way, a podcast for all of you health-conscious humans out there who want to nourish, move, and take care of your body your way. Not the diet book's way or even my way. Your journey to find your body's way through all of the noise and nonsense starts right here, where I'll be presenting and breaking down all of the current popular health practices so you can make intelligent choices that work for you and you alone. You know what they say, if the shoe fits. So I encourage you to take on what sounds tempting and to reject what doesn't. So let's dive into your journey to becoming the person you know you can be. Hey there, welcome to Your Body's Way and I'm Tamara Walpole, your host. I'm really delighted to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Carly Henderson, and she's here to talk about a really important topic, which is so um, important to know about today because it's so, so common, and that is PCOS. Now, she is a delightful um, certified nutritionist and health coach, and she is helping countless numbers of women to overcome um, PCOS naturally. We talked about all sorts of interesting um, topics related to PCOS. So obviously, you know, what to look out for if you're somebody who's struggling with PCOS or you're not sure if you have it, then to know what to look out for, um, to know what symptoms to look out for, we dove into the medications that are commonly prescribed and what the issues are with those. Um, how to go about healing your PCOS naturally and um, how to lose weight and if you're trying for a baby how to actually conceive 
Now, Carly has a fabulous personal story. She lost a ton of weight once she realized how to heal her PCOS naturally. And she also conceived two healthy children. So what she knows cannot be underestimated. It's so important if you're struggling with PCOS or you know somebody who has PCOS, it's so important to pass on this message because you can um, have a normal life with medication and you can be absolutely fine. So, But if you go about healing your PCOS naturally, then you're getting to the root cause of your condition and then you have uh, more likelihood of it sticking and of you having a normal life um, for longer. So it's a really, really interesting um, conversation. She's so lovely. We had such a great chat. Um, so I'm going to pass you on to Carly right after this quick ad. I'm just going to cut in here quickly to tell you about an amazing supplement and healthy snack company, Paleo Valley. Have I got a treat for you? I love the way they only use the best ingredients that are ethically sourced for you and your family. And you can't miss the podcast episode number 43 with Autumn Smith, the co-founder of Paleo Valley, because once you listen to it, you'll see that she lives and breathes health for her customers and the planet. My favorite product by far is the grass-fed organ complex. I know organ meats are the most nutritious foods on the planet, but I struggle to stomach them from time to time, right? But I'm not too worried about missing out on essential nutrients like iron, vitamin B12 and CoQ10 because this 30-day supplement has me covered. I couldn't recommend it enough. My eyes actually feel brighter and my cognitive energy has definitely improved after the first month of use. So if you want the same for yourself, click the link in the show notes for 15% off your next order. You can thank me later. I want to give you a very, very warm welcome to the Your Body's Way podcast. This is um, a real pleasure to have you on the call. We've just had a lovely conversation getting to know each other. And I think we've established that, you know, we're kind of, um, we're cut from the same cloth. Like I can feel that from you already. Like, you know, I can feel that um, good energy between us. So um, you're in Ontario, you said. I am in Ontario, Canada, and it is very cold here today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because um, we're recording this in December, coming up to Christmas. So it must be absolutely freezing over there. But I can imagine the Christmas vibes are really good. It's, it is easier to be in the Christmas spirit, I think. Um, I just got back from Punta Cana, Dominican, and the whole resort was decorated for Christmas. But there's just something about, you know, palm trees versus Christmas trees. So it's it's easier to get into the Christmas spirit here for sure, even though we don't actually have snow right now. It's just cold. Well, maybe Christmas Day like this, maybe you can hold out for that. That'll probably happen then, right? Yeah, we did get that last year. We woke up to a white Christmas, which is really nice. Oh, lovely. Um, so anyway, we are going to be diving into a really, really important topic today on female health. Um, it's something that you specialize in. It's something that you've been through yourself and um, that you're now helping your clients recover from. It is none other than PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, that is right. That's right. It is such a big, big topic. Um, it's so important because am I right in thinking that PCOS is the most common 
hormonal issue that women face today? It is. Um, women of reproductive age. So it's really scary. Like they say one in 10, but it's actually closer to one in five. There's a lot of women who have PCOS and don't even know it. That is absolutely crazy. And, and that's what I really want to dive into with you because I can't believe that it's not more diagnosed because the symptoms which we're going to go through, like we're going to we take PCOS, we're going to take it apart for the listeners and really get in there. Um, it seems like the symptoms, um, you almost can't mistaken them, but at the same time in, in real life, I suppose you can, because, you know, there are gray areas and there are so many other health issues that overlap that it could be this, it could be that. So, um, there's so much to unpack when it comes to PCOS and I'm so glad I'm getting into it with someone like yourself who's been through it and you've actually, have you completely recovered or are you in recovery or what, what phase are you in at the moment? So you can't actually cure PCOS 100%, but I'm to a point now where my symptoms are under control. I have regular cycles and I was able to conceive two kids naturally. That's great. Okay. We need to know your secrets. We need to get into Definitely. this. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy to hear. Great. Um, so first of all, um, what is your story? So um, I, I'm sure the listeners are dying to know um, who you are, how you came to do what you're doing and what your journey with PCOS has been. So just give us an insight into your journey so far. Sure, so a bit of background. Um, when I was 26 years old, we just got married. We just bought this two-story, four-bedroom home. We had all these hopes of filling the extra bedrooms with babies right away. I mean, we'd already been together for seven years. We had a dog, we had two cats stable jobs. I was actually a financial advisor at the time, you know, we were ready. And at that time I was on birth control and I came off and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened. Like nothing. And I, by nothing, I mean, like, I just didn't even have a cycle. Like it was crazy. And I had been on birth control for so long that I never even knew that I had an issue. So eventually, of course, I went to my doctor who referred me to an OB and another OB um, a naturopath. And honestly, nobody was even taking me seriously. They didn't do any blood work. There was no ultrasound, no nothing. They basically said, come back after a year. They wouldn't refer me to a fertility clinic or anything like that. Um, you know, I was stressed. I was depressed. My weight was climbing. I gained about 50 pounds and had to take a leave of absence from work all within a very short time. Eventually I found a fertility specialist in a bigger city about an hour away um, in London, Canada. <laughs> and she right away told me, you know, I have PCOS. And although, you know, this wasn't an ideal situation, at least I had a label and at least I was able to have a starting point, right? I felt validated. So of course, right away, she put me on a couple of prescriptions that most women with PCOS are put on right away. And, you know, little did I know all the side effects of these drugs, but she put me on metformin, and Provera to bring on a period and basically told me to lose some weight and come back if I don't get a regular cycle in a couple of months. So fast forward, you know, about a year and several failed rounds of fertility treatments, um, letrozole, just all kinds of crazy stuff. I was put on a list for IVF and told at that point it was my only hope. And I was completely devastated. I mean, I had no idea that any of this was ever going to happen. Um, like it was to a point where I was so depressed that my husband even bought me a little dog and he's not a little dog person. 
So we have our little dog, Josie. Um, and she was basically like my emotional support dog. Like it was such a low time. So if you know me, um, I'm not very good at taking no for an answer. So I finally decided to, you know, get out of my funk and take my health and my fertility into my own hands. I was tired of not having answers. I had all of these questions and I honestly felt like my body was broken, right? Like I'm a woman, I'm supposed to have babies. Like why isn't my body doing what it's supposed to do? So it started out with figuring out how to lose weight properly with insulin resistance and PCOS. Um, I ended up going back to school for nutrition, adding in extra courses on women's health, like interpreting lab results, genetic testing, you know, really just diving into all the podcasts, all the books, all the documentaries, all the courses. And it did take some trial and error, but eventually I did figure out how to balance my hormones and get pregnant with PCOS. So now my sons are, um, Bennett is about three and a half. Brody is nine months and you know, all, all naturally. So I'm really, really glad that I didn't, you know, just take no for an answer and, you know, no offense against doctors or anything. They're using the only toolkit that they have, which is their prescription pad. But if you don't have the foundations in place, you're never, you know, you're not really setting yourself up for success. So that's kind of where I started, where I'm at now. And, you know, getting so many questions from people on how I did this, I decided to make a career out of it. And I'm so happy to help other women, you know, boost their fertility and lose weight naturally with PCOS. And it's definitely possible. That's what you've done is pretty incredible. How much weight did you lose altogether? Um, from my highest weight, not including pregnancy, I lost 68 pounds. 68 pounds. That is yeah. such an achievement. And did you even find it that difficult to lose that weight? Was it a struggle or once you found out what to do, it, it came I, off quite easily? Yeah, exactly. Like I, part of the first step of my four step fertility formula is to figure out your root cause. And with me, that was insulin and with everybody with PCOS, it's some sort of combination of these, but there's insulin resistance, inflammation, your stress hormones, um, that's kind of like the triad or when you come off birth control, it can kind of throw all of this out of whack as well, but focusing mainly on insulin resistance, that's really what helped me. So I did a bit of intermittent fasting. I never counted calories. I really just focused on balanced meals, eating the right foods at the right time, um, without going crazy and stressing out my adrenals. And I don't want to get too technical, but when I really started looking at the science behind it and how food and lifestyle affect your hormones. Like it just, it just became my lifestyle and the weight just kept coming off. Yeah. Cause I can imagine when the doctor said to you, Oh, you know, here's these medications I've, I've heard PCOS be called. It's like whack-a-mole for symptoms. It is. Um, I've, I've heard that over and over again. So there must be something in it. It was when you're experiencing PCOS, like you have a symptom, here's a medication, another symptom, here's another medication. And you're just exactly. hitting them down, but they just keep popping up because you're not yeah. addressing the root cause. Um, but I can imagine when the doctor said, oh, just go away and lose some weight. Um, if you don't know you're insulin resistant, then the, the technique you're using, even if you do lose weight, it's not going to last. <laughs> Because exactly. ultimately, the issue with insulin resistance is, um, you know, you're needing to address your body's response to sugar and to carbohydrates, specifically, um, maybe, you know, if someone eats too much protein as well, but um, 
you know, unless you're actually addressing that, then you're not actually addressing the insulin resistance. So I can imagine someone who doesn't know they're insulin resistant and has PCOS, you know, smashing it in the gym, lowering calories and, you know, burning themselves out, basically, it's just going to make the problem so much worse. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm so glad that we that that um you've been through that and you're going to explain everything to us. But one question I had for you, um, which I was really intrigued about, what would your life look like now if you didn't know you had PCOS? Just say you didn't get that diagnosis, like so many women don't. What would your life be like um, now? Do you think? Um, I would probably still be, you know very overweight, um, probably still very depressed, probably still in a job that I don't really like. That's actually making my symptoms worse with stress. I probably, um, would have done IVF, right? I mean, that's what I was told was my only option. So here in Canada, we do get one round funded through the government. Um, but after that, I think it's like, I could be wrong, but it's any, it's like the tens of thousands of dollars, right? It's Mm. very, very expensive. So I don't know. I mean, we probably would have done one or two rounds of IVF and who knows if it would have worked and the symptoms along with that are not ideal. I mean, going through a fertility journey is actually like, it's very hard on a marriage, right? Like, you know, sex should be something that you enjoy. It shouldn't be a chore and hoping, you know, praying that you're going to get pregnant and having that responsibility that I mean, that feeling of responsibility hanging over your head. I mean, my husband never did that to me, but you can't help but feel like that, right? You're the one, you're the woman, right? I mean, we did get his, you know, semen analysis and everything done and he came back fine. So we knew it was something to do with me, but yeah, like it it was just a very heavy time and it's hard to climb out of that. So, I mean even if we did sort of do the band-aid approach with all of medications and it worked, like, I don't think I would be in as good of a place as I am now. Right. That's why I named my business charisma nutrition. I got my charisma back. Like I'm, mm, I was I like sick that. of, you know, I'm only five foot two. Like I was always trying to hide at the back of photos or, you know, have a pillow on my lap, just feeling like so ashamed. Like, do you ever watch the show friends? Yes, of course. So there's like the flashbacks of Monica when she's like very overweight in high school. And honestly, like I felt like when I looked at a picture of myself, it was like, who ate me? Like, I just felt so self-conscious. I felt like I looked like myself, but in like a Monica suit, like it, I just felt so low. Right. And it like, that was starting to take a toll on my marriage too, because, you know, my husband fell in love with this like energetic, vibrant, charismatic person and going through all of this and gaining the weight and having facial hair and, you know, not having regular cycle and feeling broken, like that was an empty shell of a person. Like, yes, having babies and being a mom is great, but having my personality back is like a whole nother story. Right. And now being able to help other people is just next level. So yeah, like maybe I would have been able to have kids, but that's not the be all end all with PCOS. Like not everybody with PCOS even wants to have kids and that's totally fine, but you should be able to live your best life. Yeah. Um, and also without sounding too, you know, down and kind of, you know, covering quite dark topics, but the the risks of having PCOS for so long, you know, it's, 
imagine having insulin resistance for decades, uh, you're more at risk of heart disease and metabolic yes. diseases and Alzheimer's. And so it can take you down a really dark path if you're not mm-hmm. diagnosing it. So um, that's why it's so important to get it. But um, I, I'm sure the Absolutely. information is becoming more and more available for women. So um you know, it's going to, I feel positive. Do you, that thing is going to get better I do, I do. And um, it is becoming a little bit more well-known. Like if you want, I can go over on how it's diagnosed because it's pretty simple to be honest. I mean, you do have to rule out a few things. Um, like you want to rule out thyroid disease, which actually there's a big overlap. Mm. Um, there is, I noticed that as well. Yeah, yeah, there is a big overlap with thyroid, endometriosis. There's a few other things that are inflammatory in nature that tend to overlap with PCOS. But really, the current criteria that we use is called the Rotterdam criteria. Mm-hmm. And you only have to meet two of the following three things. So number one is irregular cycles, which is defined of cycles 35 days or more apart. So some people have, you know, a 36 day cycle, some people have one cycle a year. They both meet that standard. The second one is actually having cysts on your ovaries, which we'll talk about a little bit more if you want. They're not actually cysts. They're just follicles or eggs that didn't make it to ovulation. They kind of grew and then, you know, your body gave up on them because the balance wasn't right. So they're kind of stuck there. They look like cysts, but they're not a cyst in the general way, but those can be found on an ultrasound. And then the third is signs of high androgen. So think acne, um, hair where you um, don't want it, say like your chin, mustache, some women even get it on their chest or their back. Um, Acne is a big sign of high androgens or like hair loss. So women with thyroid, for example, this is a, a really good way to differentiate it is thyroid, you'll find that your hair thins all over your head, the outer edges of your eyebrows, those are kind of like thyroid pattern hair loss. With PCOS, it's more male pattern hair loss where you'll see almost like a receding hairline or even like the scalp of your head you'll find. Um, So think male pattern baldness because of the high androgen. So as long as you have two of those three things, so even without an ultrasound, you know, if you've got some chin hairs and you've got an irregular cycle without even seeing a doctor, you know, I mean, I mean, you should rule some things out, but you have a pretty good idea that you likely have PCOS. So what is the, what are the main root causes? What, I mean, what causes the, I mean, that, that's quite a list of symptoms. You've got hair loss, mm-hmm. you've got, then, then you've got hair gain in all of the places that you don't want them as a woman and um, fertility issues um, and, and so many others. It's quite a list. So mm-hmm. what causes all of this? Where does it all come from? Like, for example, with yourself, like, you know, a vibrant 20 something year old, you said, and then you know, the shift happened. Did it start much earlier in your life? Do you think? Where does it begin? So So the reason I think that, um, well, one, there is a definitely a genetic component, but being on hormonal birth control, most of my life really masked a lot of the symptoms. Um, But even, you know, growing up as a kid, I mean, I hit puberty a lot younger than most people. Like I started my cycle when I was only nine years old. And that's a huge red flag that you're likely to develop PCOS later in life. Huge red flag. I think you're like almost twice as likely to get PCOS if you, you know, start puberty super young. Um, I was always, you know, I I wasn't like 
you know, a chubby kid, but I was always, I definitely wasn't super skinny. Like my, I was quote unquote healthy is what people said, right? Um, healthy looking. And then I always found that, you know, me, meeting puberty a lot earlier than a lot of people, like, you know, my hair was always thicker on my legs than most women my age. And like, I'm not from Italian descent or anything. So it's like, why am I so hairy? Like, even, you know, where you're supposed to get hair, it was always just like, I just felt a little bit different than my peers. Like I luckily didn't get acne or anything like that. And I thought I had a regular cycle, but I was on birth control. So that's actually not a cycle, which they didn't tell me when I was, you know, 14 and put on birth control, um, which is pretty messed up. But anyway, yeah. So the main causes are insulin resistance, inflammation, and adrenal, I'm going to call it adrenal fatigue, but it's really like HPA axis dysfunction, which has to do with your cortisol. And these all feed off of each other. So it's really hard to pinpoint which one is the one cause because it's likely a play on all three of them. So that's why when I work with people, we create something called the charisma compass. So we go through number one, looking at your symptoms and basically we create a pie chart of, okay, are these mostly insulin resistance symptoms, stress or inflammation? And again, there is a lot of overlap. So then the next step is we look at all the areas of your life, like what you're eating, you're sleeping, your toxic load, your stress management, um, supplements, like all these different things, micronutrient deficiencies. So we kind of create two different pie charts and that's how we come at it because there are no two PCOS cases that are exactly alike, unfortunately. Otherwise, we would all be fixed, right? Mm-hmm. So figuring out which areas of your life based on your symptoms and you know potentially blood work, but that's not always necessary, is how we come at that depending on the cause. So those three uh, main causes you addressed. So you mm-hmm. said insulin, stress, and what was the third inflammation? One? Inflammation. That's right. So yeah. let, let's go into those just a little bit more so that people can understand what they are. Um, so first of all, insulin resistance, this is a big one. Huge. Um, so what is insulin resistance? So insulin resistance, basically I want people to think of it almost as an intolerance to carbohydrates. So what happens Whenever you eat something, um, you know, particularly carbs and a little bit of protein, fat, not so much, but of the three macronutrients, when you eat carbohydrates, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, candy, sugar, if it's honey, if it's potatoes, pasta, anything with a carbohydrate or starch, when it goes into your body, your body turns that into glucose. And I'm totally oversimplifying this, but you know, for a very beginner, your body recognizes this as sugar. So what happens is we can't have sugar floating around our bloodstream everywhere. That's super dangerous and inflammatory. And that's actually what leads to type two diabetes. But anyway, what happens is you ingest this sugar and your pancreas's job is to secrete insulin and insulin's job is to go to your cells and open up the door. Think of like a Pac-Man. I know this is like a really funny analogy, but like, think of your cells as the Pac-Man going through your veins and they're eating all those little dots. Those little dots are sugar and your cells are the Pac-Man and insulin basically allow the Pac-Man to eat the little dots, right? They're, you know, ingesting that sugar for energy. Insulin resistance is when those cells, when those little Pac-Men don't 
get the message, right? They're not working. Think their mouths are stuck. They can't actually like they're stuck. They can't get the sugar out. So what happens is that sugar actually piles up in your blood. It gets overstored in your liver. It gets stored as fatty tissue. Your body doesn't know where to put all of this excess energy. So it starts storing it as places. Insulin is a fat storage hormone as well. So insulin resistance is basically your body's inability to use that glucose as energy. And instead it winds up causing all kinds of inflammation um, and fat on your body, which can lead to lipotoxicity, which is inflammation, which eventually, I mean, your ovaries stay sensitive to insulin. Like they're basically bathed in insulin and excess inflammation. And that's where the androgens come from. So that's where, you know, the egg quality is bad because of all this excess insulin and, um, androgens, your egg quality is not what it should be. And your eggs actually take about a year to develop, right? I mean, you're born with your follicles, you're born, you know, with your, you know, your reservoir of eggs, but from when your body picks an egg to when you actually ovulate, that process is about a year. So if you do have PCOS or insulin resistance, and you think a baby's in your future, the time is now to start working on these things. Right. And you said that having the insulin resistance um, affecting your ovaries, that's where the androgens come from. So, yeah. so um, I mean, they come from those. your, yeah. yeah. So androgens come from a few different places in your body. A main one is your ovaries. Another um, really potent form of androgens actually comes from your adrenal glands, which sit above your kidneys. Mm-hmm. So that's where stress comes in. That's where your adrenals come in and that HPA axis. So if you're really stressed out, Um, and you have a lot of inflammation, your adrenals are not going to be functioning properly, and they're going to be releasing excess androgens as well. Um, And the androgens being, are you talking about testosterone? Yeah, there's testosterone, yes, androsinodione. So there's a handful of them, but um, the the key places that they come from are your adrenals and your ovaries. So Mm. insulin resistance is more your ovaries. Whereas if your adrenals are not functioning properly, like you have a really high stress load, or, you know, maybe you went through some severe illnesses, that's where you'll see, um, you know, more adrenal based androgens. So it's actually really hard to pick this stuff up on blood work as well. Mm -hmm. Like even myself, like back then I had a full androgen panel done and everything came back quote unquote normal. So what I've learned and working with clients as well is normal and optimal are two very different things. And the way that your hormones are converted in your body is very tricky and very difficult to pick up on blood work. So sometimes, um, you know, a urine analysis or Dutch test can be a good thing, but honestly, these things are not even necessary. Like if you have symptoms of androgens, like facial hair, you have androgen excess, right? Like you don't need a blood work test to tell you that. I was going to say, you know, we talked about the crossover between thyroid, for example, like underactive thyroid, Hashimoto's, mm-hmm. um, that it's, it's the same thing. So you go and have your blood work done and you're told that your hormones are normal. So let's say you go have your androgens tested or your thyroid hormones tested. You're told that things are normal, but actually there's, there's a much larger range that they should be using. Right. Um, And I think in the doctors in, in the clinics, um, they're just famously using um, small ranges and they're also basing the ranges on the average person. And we know that the average person isn't optimal. Like it's not the healthiest person. Right. So 
Right. And the um, what could actually be happening is while your blood results are normal, your body could be creeping up from behind. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just tell you quickly. Um, I know this because, you know, I've had thyroid issues for, um, for God, since I was 25. I had my first thyroid problem then. And um, at the moment, I'm fine, according to my blood work, but I have all the symptoms of underactive thyroid, like it's totally come back, like since having kids. And so now I'm just not mm-hmm. even using blood work. So if, so like what you said about the, you know, the symptoms, look at the symptoms. And if you feel like there's androgen excess, if you feel like you have the symptoms then probably go off your instinct and start to put in the lifestyle changes that you're about to talk about and just see if it makes a difference because the blood work won't always tell you. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. And again, like your doctor just goes off of what the lab says is quote unquote normal, which we know is not accurate. And I mean, definitely going off your symptoms is better. So what I basically do, like I go through a four-step fertility formula with women Um, And basically step one is to find your root cause. So most of that is based on symptoms. Um, You can do blood work if you want to, and it can be helpful, but that should not be an obstacle on starting your path to recovery because it is possible. And again, your blood work could be like very misleading as well. So once you have that root cause, or again, we call it the charisma compass. And with me and my business here, we go through and make that beautiful little pie chart. Um, Step two is to address what goes in and on your body. So not just food and coffee and, you know, all those things, but also the products that you use and the supplements that you are taking. So um, we live in a very toxic world and, you know, I'm not just talking about, you know, things that are carcinogenic. I mean, everyone, I think everyone to this point is a little bit desensitized to that. And they say, oh, well, what's not going to give you cancer. Okay. And I, and I understand that. And there, you know, is a bit of truth to that, but at the end of the day, we do need to do what we can, what's in our control to reduce our toxic load, not just to reduce our risk of cancer, but because these things are endocrine disruptors. So a big part of my program, which a lot of, you know, coaches with PCOS don't put a lot of emphasis on is your toxic load, because these things that, you know, in our, in your face cream, your laundry detergent, your body wash, your floor cleaner, these things contain chemicals that actually make your insulin resistance worse. They actually like, think of that lock and key where, you know, the Pac-Man's not able to eat the energy. Like these things are, you know, think of them as stapling his mouth shut, right? Like they are not helping, like you could be doing all of the things but if you're not addressing, you know, your toxic load, then you're working against yourself. And these are easy things to swap out, right? Like, you know, I can give you a list of brands that I use that I recommend, but you know, it's not just what goes in your body. It's what goes on your body. Step three are lifestyle changes. So this is where, you know, your sleep, your stress, your movement, those sorts of things come in. Um, and then step four of the fertility formula is timing sex properly using the symptothermal method. So unfortunately, 99% of those apps or those ovulation predictor kits that people are using, they're not accurate for PCOS. I know like the clear blue one says right on the box, like do not use, not accurate if you have PCOS because Why is the that? hormones that, so PC, what those test kits are picking up is your, um, your, boost in LH, your luteinizing hormone, which is what actually 
tells your body to release an egg. But unfortunately with PCOS, our cycles are long, most of us, and your body tries several times throughout the month to release an egg. So your LH is actually chronically high and then your body actually becomes not as sensitive to it. So it just stays high. So when you do those tests, you're very, very likely to get a false positive. I mean, you can use those as a backup method, like using the symptothermal method. Um, we look at your cervical fluid and your basal body temperature. So those can be good to confirm if you're ovulating, if you have the signs of, you know, the egg white cervical mucus and your temperature is doing the right thing and you take one of those tests, okay, then it's probably accurate. But if you're just relying on those, I know I'm in a ton of Facebook groups helping women answer their questions. And all you see in there is like pictures and pictures and pictures of all of these ovulation test strips. And I just want to scream from the rooftops, like, please stop wasting your money, like throw them in the garbage. They're not good for PCOS. So, you know, your doctor will end up telling you, you know, just have sex every second day. But if you have PCOS, like, you know, like, that's just not fun anymore. Like, it's just not romantic. Like that not fun you know, for becomes anybody. a job. Yeah. Like Jesus, it's awful. Like I was there, I tried it. And I know from personal experience that that can be hard on a marriage. Cause like, you're like, okay, we have to do this. And it's yeah. Anyway, people are wasting their time, energy, and money using those methods, unfortunately. Wow. So when it comes to the current treatments, that people use um, that are prescribed by the doctors. Do you think any of them are useful or would you say, look, you've got to get out from that and go natural? <laughs> like what's your usual advice to someone who just say someone's on medication for PCOS now and they're like, no, I want to, I want to start doing this naturally. Do you suggest they come off them? Do you suggest that they do it slowly? What, what's your recommendation? So it's not like when you're on something for PCOS, you're on it. I mean, besides metformin, which I definitely recommend getting off of metformin, absolutely get off it because it damages your mitochondria. It actually, you know, sets your child up for obesity and a higher risk of type two diabetes later in life, which they've just found out. So I metformin thought, I thought metformin was used for diabetes. It is. It's a diabetic medication. And, and you would say that it can cause it in the future. So it for your children. Yes. So when you're pregnant and you're taking metformin, it actually damages their insulin receptors. So by age four is what the study came out with. They're much more likely to be obese by the age four, a child who had no say in any of this. Right. So they used to recommend women stay on metformin until week 12 of pregnancy. Now it's, I mean, depending on your endocrinologist, but the one that I work with, um, no longer allows women who are pregnant to be on metformin because of this. It's very scary. And I mean, they never really understood exactly how metformin worked anyway. I mean, they knew that it helped with insulin resistance, but they never really understood why. And now they're starting to learn all of this and it's pretty scary. I mean, especially when there are natural or so many natural alternatives to metformin, like inositol, berberine, NAC, like there are so many different things that you can take that don't have those scary side effects um, or gastrointestinal side effects. I don't know about you, but if you've ever taken metformin, you better be close to a bathroom. Um, I had a client actually like have an accident in her vehicle and had to have it professionally cleaned. <laughs> like it was crazy. Thing. 
Yeah. And, and the thing is, is I'm not anti-medication. I'm anti, you know, making these decisions without all of the information that you should be given, right? A lot of women are given this and are just told, you know, take the pill, take metformin, um, you know, take this for facial hair and not knowing, like, I mean, they're given probably a piece of paper that lists the symptoms, but who reads that? right? Your doctor doesn't go into all of these scary side effects that like birth control, for example, you're actually, it makes your insulin resistance 30 to 40 times worse. It actually sets you up for blood clots later in life. It sets you up for cardiovascular risk. So it's like, it totally overrides your hormonal symptom or your system. Like you're not ovulating at all. And ovulation is not just important for getting pregnant. It's important for female health. Um, you know, shout out to the book, the fifth vital sign, every, if you have PCOS or, you know, if you're a woman in general, the fifth vital sign, don't ask me the author right now on the spot, but it's an amazing book that talks about why ovulation is not just important for fertility, but for overall health as a woman. So it's amazing. Um, but other drugs, for example, so letrozole or Clomid or another name for letrozole is Femera. Um, those two drugs are basically the first line of defense for women who want to get pregnant, who um, it's supposed to make them ovulate. So these are actually medications that were used for cancer. Like that's what these were made from. And all of a sudden these women who had breast cancer um, were getting pregnant and it's because it was inducing ovulation. So it's actually prescribed off label. And again, they didn't really understand why it works and it has to do with your estrogen, of course, but they didn't find that out till later. So a lot of women who maybe have, you know, 40, 50 day cycles, they are ovulating, but they're just not ovulating like as close together as they should. So it's hard to pinpoint when you're ovulating. So it's hard to get pregnant, but if you're already ovulating, what is the point of taking a drug that's supposed to make you ovulate, right? Like it doesn't give you a stronger ovulation. It doesn't actually help with your egg quality. Like, and you only have a very small chance of getting pregnant on these drugs and the symptoms or the, sorry, the side effects of these drugs are not great. And again, you're just giving yourself a bandaid fix, right? Like if a tree, if you look at a tree and the tree is sick, are you going to climb to the top of the tree and start trying to tape the leaves back on the branches? Or are you going to look at the soil and look at the roots, right? There's clearly something going on in the environment. So if you if you try to take this shortcut, and if you do decide to take these drugs, fine, but you need to understand the repercussions. You're not, the goal should not be to just get pregnant. It should be to have a full term, healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby, and be the healthiest version of yourself after that baby comes out. Because, you know, as a fellow mom, you know, you need to be on your A game when that baby comes out because you're not getting sleep. And those babies require a lot of attention. I mean, chasing my three year old around. I'm glad I'm not the me I was, you know, five years ago versus, you know, the active and energetic person that I am now keeping up with the three-year-old plus a nine month old running, crawling around, pulling himself up and falling off of everything. Like you need to have energy for that. So I would say, I mean, if you do decide to take the medications fine, but you do need to make the lifestyle changes and the nutritional changes alongside that in order to have the best chance of success possible. And anything that, you know, myself or another, you know, holistic nutritionist would tell you to do 
in order to fix your PCOS is only going to complement the medications anyway. So you might as well do both, especially if you're considering IVF. I mean, you're probably on a wait list anyway. You really should address these foundational changes first and foremost before you consider any sort of medication. Right. That sounds like a good plan. If you're already on medication, then just do these changes on the side. And then, Mm. you know, obviously discuss with your doctor, I can imagine, um, the idea of coming off them as your symptoms improve. So that that takes us on to the natural um, next part, which is what are these natural remedies? So first of all, you talked about inositol and you talked about berberine. So let's talk about um, natural supplementation first, and then we'll move on to food and lifestyle. So what do you recommend supplement wise if someone wants to overcome PCOS naturally? So again, I don't think there's a one size fits all approach. I, I really think before supplementing, a lot of women should test and not just guess. But saying that there are a handful of, you know, common micronutrient deficiencies that I see all the time. So inositol four grams a day, that is really, really great for egg quality and for insulin resistance. So I personally use a brand called PCOS sense. I'm not affiliated with them or anything like that. I just personally use them. I like them. And it's just like a very fine powder instead of taking a bunch of capsules. Like I literally just do my scoop in my matcha tea that I drink every day instead of coffee, because I do like the caffeine, but this is like more of a slow and steady release. And it has some L-theanine in there, which also helps with my stress hormones. So if you are, you know, a very stressed and anxious person, L-theanine or ashwagandha can be really great um, for you. NAC is also great for insulin resistance and inflammation. Same with berberine. Like there are so many different things. So I actually have a free resource um, on my website that you can go to. It's just charismanutrition.com and you just click free resources. And it's my, what did I even call it? It's like the PCOS fertility supplements cheat sheet is what it's called. And it kind of goes through each supplement, how much you should take and what it's for. And of course, there is a big disclaimer at the beginning that talk to your doctor first, obviously. Um, But vitamin D is a thing that I see a lot of women with PCOS are extremely deficient in magnesium, zinc, um, very, very basic things that, you know, most people are okay with, but you would be surprised because we, you know, typically eat that, you know, sad standard American diet that we are very low in a lot of these things. So um, that's a handful of ones and omega threes. Um, of course we need omega threes as well. That's another really big one. But outside of that, I would say that you should be tested for any micronutrient deficiencies. And the biggest point I need to say about supplements is that these are supplements. You can take all the supplements under the sun. And if you don't have these foundational elements in place, you're not going to see any changes. Like these are designed to fill in gaps, not they're not going to make, they're not going to fix your insulin resistance on their own. Like they're just not, they're not going to fix your inflammation. If you're not actually making those dietary and lifestyle changes, they might speed things up when you do make the changes. But if you're just relying on these pills or powders or, you know, supplements, they're not going to make a huge change for you. So do you have a diet structure that you like to recommend to people? Do you have some basic guidelines for someone? Yeah, to follow? yeah, absolutely. So um, 
It's targeted for insulin resistance, but it's also anti-inflammatory in nature. So with all of my clients, we start out with an elimination diet. So you see a lot of different messages when it comes to gluten and dairy and PCOS. And some people say, don't worry about it. Some people say you need to totally eliminate gluten and dairy if you have PCOS. And the reason for this is for inflammation. Um, for me, I like to help women find the path of least resistance. So yes, maybe giving up gluten and dairy might help them, but sugar, for example, is going to have a way bigger impact and maybe, you know, getting better sleep, right? So it all really just depends on the person. But in general, we start out with an elimination diet to see how big of an effect gluten and dairy are having on them. From there, we slowly reintroduce and see what sort of reaction they have. And then my general rule of thumb is 30 grams of protein for breakfast with no refined carbs. That's going to keep your blood sugar stable for the rest of the day. Um, so you don't get those hangry attacks and, you know, have to stop. But a big thing for me was like, I would have lunch at work and then I would have a snack. And then I just was so hungry to the point where like I was stopping at a drive through on my way home from work before I would go home and cook dinner because I was so hungry right? Like it was just terrible. And I felt out of control. So having that really good solid breakfast with a lot of protein and getting, you know, some veggies in there. So one of my favorite things, for example, is an omelet with mushrooms and spinach. Um, you can add cheese as long as you're not, you know, dairy isn't really affecting you that much. Most people should give up dairy, but I mean, if you choose to keep it in your life, it's not the worst thing in the world. Would I mean, you say to start eliminating sugar first? And then if there's yes. symptoms don't clear up, then move down the chart. So like then um, move on to dairy, then move into gluten. Or do you think that's no, not a healthy no. habit to get into? No. So we do everything all at once so that mm. it's just easier. So okay. we eliminate everything all at once for a two week period. And you basically get a meal plan. It's mostly whole foods like a smoothie or some egg whites for breakfast um, lunch, I have some really great soups that are good for also pulling toxins out of your body. Um, and then the rest of it is basically like dinner and then leftovers. So think of like, you know, sheet pan chicken thighs with, you know, some sweet potatoes and green beans, right? Like cooked in olive oil and some seasonings, right? That sounds pretty normal, but technically that is part of the elimination diet because we don't have the gluten, we don't have the dairy and we don't have the sugar. So you need to remove sugar with PCOS, no matter what right? Mm -hmm. To the extent, um, depends on the person, but that all depends how insulin resistance you are. Right. So removing all of these things all at once, keeping the sugar to an absolute minimum, no matter what, and being strategic on when, when, and how you eat it, but reintroducing dairy, you know, for a couple of days and then seeing how you react, then maybe reintroducing gluten, reintroducing one at a time. So, you know, it's actually triggering your symptoms. That's where the elimination diet comes in. But in general, sugar needs to be decreased as much as possible. And if you are going to have sugar, you need to be strategic about it. And that's where um, I teach my clients. It's called the PCOS plate. So picture your plate as a circle. Half of it needs to be non-starchy veggies. So that's, you know, broccoli, spinach, cauliflower, green beans, asparagus, like, you know, all the good things. It doesn't necessarily have to be a big salad. Well, that would be amazing. Some people get sick of salad and I get that I get sick of salad, right? So, you know, you can have those yummy roasted veggies that are, you know, put the butter on there, put the olive oil, put the avocado oil, put the seasonings on it, make it yummy. Um, but half of your plate should be that. And that's really good for inflammation, insulin resistance. And then the fiber as well keeps you feeling full. 
And then a quarter of your plate should be good quality protein. You don't need to have you know, super lean protein. You can have the skin of the chicken. Like it's more satisfying. It keeps you fuller longer. And that's where a lot of the nutrients are. And then a quarter of your plate can be um, like high quality carbs. Think low GI carbs. So something like sweet potato with the skin, a little, you know, quarter cup of quinoa, you know, brown rice versus white rice, like things like that, that are digested a lot slower and cook with, you know, healthy fats. Um, when you pair all of these things together, like say you're really craving a donut, fine. You know, have your, have your lunch with your PCOS plate. You have your, all of your nutrients and everything that's going to fill you up and feeling satisfied and then have your donut with it. Okay. I mean, we don't want you to live in a state of deprivation and have you, you know, living in, you know, have a bad relationship with food and that's going to lead to, you know, binge eating disorder, which is really common with PCOS, but don't just, you know, wake up in the morning and have a donut and a coffee. That is going to be the absolute worst thing for you. I really like that. I like how you say prioritize the PCOS plates first, prioritize those. Mm-hmm. And then if you still have those cravings, then just, just add it, but don't exactly. base your meal. Don't make that, that those, um, d- like the, d- those donuts, for example, with the coffee, don't make that your first choice, make that the, you know, the, the second choice it's like okay so exactly like, I'll just add it on top yeah I like yeah, you'll that. still enjoy the donut I mm. mean you'll still definitely enjoy it you know do I eat a hundred percent clean all of the time no but am I able to keep my cycle consistent and keep my weight at a manageable level yes because I have found that balance and that's what it's all about is balance and getting to know your lifestyle so the biggest thing that I tell my clients is that you know, PCOS, it's not a life that it's, it's a lifestyle, not a life sentence, mm. right? So you just have to learn how to be strategic with what and when you eat. So, you know, sticking to three meals a day versus snacking all day. I mean, in the nineties or eighties, I'm not sure where it came from, but people were told that they need to snack all day to maintain their metabolism. And that is completely false. And it's just honestly quite ridiculous but especially when you have insulin resistance, if every time you eat your insulin resistance skyrockets, we need to give your body a chance to allow that insulin to come down. And that's between meals and when you're sleeping. Well, that, that is great. Cause I was about to go into fasting and what your um, usual protocol is for that, because I can imagine when you're in the thick of your symptoms and you were going to drive throughs before you got home for dinner, I can imagine that was doing your insulin issues no favors whatsoever you you were keeping sugar in the bloodstream throughout the day which is basically a big no-no for insulin resistance so what is your fasting protocol because I know you said that you were doing Hmm. some fasting in the beginning so um how far do you take it um what would you recommend to the um, everyday fasting intermittent fasting is a very controversial topic with PCOS so I just want to start with an example that a lot of times people think like, oh, you know, a banana and, you know, a whole grain bagel with low fat cream cheese. Maybe that sounds like, you know, a quote unquote healthy breakfast if you're counting calories, right? Or yogurt and an orange or something like that, right? Yeah, it's low in calories, it's low in fat, but the way that those foods impact your insulin is what really matters. So those are very high in sugar. They're very, um, you know, I'm all for fruit, but pairing it with fat and protein is important, right? So what's quote unquote healthy or, you know, low calorie for the general population 
is quite different from PCOS. So when we look at weight loss and we look at balancing your hormones, um, keeping your insulin in control is the number one goal. So if when you eat, that's when your insulin skyrockets, especially if you're eating carbohydrates, then if you're not eating, AKA fasting, that brings your insulin levels down, but it's a fine line. So what I normally do is start women off with three meals a day, three balanced meals a day to one, um, you know, keep them from feeling deprived, keep them feeling nourished, especially because, you know, most of the women that I work with, um, are trying to get pregnant, not all of them, but a lot of them. So we usually start out with three meals a day, but if they do have a larger goal of weight loss and, you know, they're hit up, they've hit a plateau and we know that their stress hormones are okay, then we can introduce some gentle intermittent fasting. So by that, um, usually that just means eating dinner earlier. So say, you know, finishing your last bite of dinner by six o'clock at night and then not eating dinner or not eating breakfast until say nine or 10 AM. How many and hours usually that? that's enough. So from 6 PM to 6 AM, that's 12. That's like, like 15 hours, 15, 15, 16 hours. And that's usually for someone with PCOS, who's trying to conceive or not stress their hormones out. Um, because you don't want your body to think that you're in a famine or your stress levels are going to skyrocket. So usually 15, 16 hours is where I would cap it, but usually that's enough to bring your stress or bring your insulin levels down to a manageable level. Mm -hmm. I had a great conversation with um, Dr. William Lee and he was advocating at least a 12 hour fast to, mm -hmm. you know, boost your metabolism and Absolutely. You lose weight. And he had this really great technique and it's so, so simple, <laughs> but really effective. So Basically, as soon as you finished your dinner, you as soon as you put your plate in, um, as soon as you put your dishes in the sink, that is your trigger. That's your signal to say, I'm done, like no more yeah. food. So as soon as those dishes go in the sink, that's it. And yeah. once you stick to that, it's it's kind of easy to be like, okay, I'm not going to snack. I'm not going to eat anything else now because the dishes have gone in the sink. That's the trigger. So after that, you know, herbal teas are really good. Just keep you, you know, kind of, especially in Ontario now, I can imagine like a hot cup mm. of tea in between your hands, like while you're watching telly at night. Um, I can imagine it's just such a lovely thing. And it's, it is a lovely thing for, for myself and for a lot of people just to kind of have that warming kind of herbal tea. Absolutely. And then all of the heavy lifting is done overnight when your body is mm -hmm. resting and metabolizing everything. So I really like that, that trigger, you know, dishes in the sink dishes in the sink yeah. done for me like that. um it was brushing my teeth mm, that's also like, a good one like yeah after i brush my <laughs> yes. teeth so would so you brush that... your teeth after dinner so that you yes. didn't have to yeah exactly yeah i like that that's a good that's very effective yeah and sure. um again with the tea like women with pcos especially who have those signs of high androgens high testosterone spearmint tea is actually very, very, very helpful for bringing those hormones back into balance. So okay. um, they actually had in the country Turkey, they had, this is way back years ago, but there was an issue where all these men were, you know, not as fertile as they should be. And it's because spearmint tea is very, very popular there. And it was lowering their testosterone to an, a point that it was affecting their sperm. So it's crazy. It's crazy. So 
So it's I not mean, good for men, but good for women. Exactly. So it's, you know, drink two cups, like one, like two cups, one in the morning, one at night. Um, you know, and within even a couple months, you'll notice that, you know, say you have facial hair, it's going to be a lot less thick and eventually it will go away, especially if you're doing the other changes along with it. Unfortunately, when you do start living the PCOS lifestyle, hair loss and hair growth is one of the last things that you're going to see, which is actually one of the things that impacts your self-esteem the most, but it, it definitely will happen. Like I used to have to get like waxed and now, I mean, I'll still get a stray here and there, but like nothing like that. Like I see women who like shave their whole face every day and, um, it's, it, it's really hard on you mentally. What are your thoughts on coffee, caffeine? Because I know a lot of women, they love their cup of coffee in the morning. Mm. Do they need to quit coffee? So I will still drink coffee once in a while, especially when I was in Dominican, they have amazing coffee there. (laughs) But again, you should be strategic about it. So don't have your coffee on an empty stomach. Um, I actually put, if I am going to have coffee, I make sure I have it with my breakfast and I have a glass of water first. I don't put any sugar in it. Um, I use like unsweetened almond milk in mine. I just I'm not a, I mean, if you can drink it black, go ahead, but I'm not, that's not for me. Um, and I do put a scoop of collagen in it as well. Okay. And sweeteners, just say someone wanted something sweet. Um, I'm not a fan of sweeteners mm. only because if you're trying to work on your root cause of insulin resistance, which over 80% of us with PCOS have you are just making it harder for yourself. If you're still leaning on those crutches of sweet foods and you're trying to give up sugar, like you're pretty much setting yourself up for failure. I mean, even something like stevia, that's quote unquote natural. Um, I mean, it still has that impact on your brain, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it has no calories, but what is it doing to you mentally, Mm -hmm. right? Those, these sweet things are, you know, clinically addictive, almost like opiates, right? The same dopamine reaction in your brain from sugar there's a reason why it's very hard to quit. And even if you do start, you know, with the fasting, I'm not saying that you're not going to be hungry, but you have to remember and say to yourself, you know, you know, grab your hips and say, that's my snack, right? That storage, that fat storage is there four times. It's stored energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not starving. You have all of the stored energy and stored nutrients in your body. So, I mean, with the caffeine, it's tricky. I mean, it's, I, I try to switch to matcha as much as possible, but, um, if you're strategic with coffee, I think it's fine. I think caffeine, you've just got to be real with yourself and be honest as to whether you think caffeine has a negative effect on you or not, because for a lot of people, it has no effect whatsoever. People can have coffee Mm -hmm. and they can sleep straight after. And it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. I know many people like that, but on the flip side, there are people who do not handle caffeine well at all. And I happen to be one of those people. You put your hand up as yeah. well, same. Um, and it literally threw me off kilter. It, it My caffeine issues started after I had children. So it must have been some sort of hormonal shift inside of me um, wow. where the caffeine, the adrenaline, um, really must have knocked me off kilter completely. But um, my symptoms were obviously the usual shaking and um, anxiety. 
but then it started to get worse like dizziness and then oh my um, goodness. in the mornings I, I found it really difficult to get up like more like, I've never found it difficult to get up in the morning my husband has always been that person not me like I've always <laughs> been the one who just gets up in the morning I'm a morning person but while I was going through this with the coffee, I didn't know it was the coffee at the time, but I literally couldn't get up. I was just like, oh my God, there must be a problem. I'm, I've got to go to the doctor, blah, blah. So I, I did look at my cafetiere of coffee in the morning and I was like, hmm, I have this every morning. Could this have something to do with all of my symptoms? And um, I took it out and like literally night and day, I could get up in the morning and I was back to normal. So I know in myself that coffee doesn't do me any favors. Like I can have the odd cup like yourself. Like I had one over the weekend because I knew I wasn't going to have a stressful day. I knew I wasn't mm-hmm. going to work. I wasn't going to be facing any stress. It was a lovely day with the family. So um, I had the caffeine um, and I was absolutely fine. I didn't get any, any symptoms, but I know that it shouldn't be a daily thing for me. So I think that's what you need to, people need to consider when they're thinking Mm -hmm. about coffee. Like, am I the type that can metabolize it safely or am I the type that can't? And if not, then it's not doing my PCOS any favors. Yeah. And it can be tested in your genetics as well. It comes down to your Mm -hmm. epigenetics, right? So like for me, I am very affected by caffeine and even like, you know, cough syrup. Like, oh my God, I can't, I can't take anything. (laughs) (laughs) Like, whole thing. Oh, but you know, I do, it's an addiction, right? Like I do drink matcha, but one a day, um, I put my inositol in it. I put my collagen in it. Um, and like, I just feel like you don't have that crash. Yeah. And you don't get any symptoms from that. No, I don't Mm. get the shakes. I don't get anxiety. Like I actually feel pretty good on it and it's loaded with antioxidants as well. So that's why it was very hard to give up coffee. I'm going to be honest. Like Mm. I had headaches, like it sucked, but within under a week, and this is before I even tried matcha or anything. I was like, you know, I felt more normal again. I was like, Oh my God. Like I put my coffee machine in the closet and I was like, who am I? (laughs) You're going in the cupboard. Like shut the door. Like this is the new me. Yeah. I got my husband like a little French press and he has that and it's just enough for him and he's fine with it. He's one of those people. He can drink coffee and go to bed. And I'm like, if I drink coffee after 11 AM, I'm up all night. Wow. Yeah. And I know my metabolism is super slow. Right. So last question. Um, what is the day in the life of someone recovering from PCOS? So from when you get up talking about food, maybe some lifestyle techniques, like what is the perfect day for someone recovering from PCOS naturally? So the biggest thing or one of the biggest things that I like to tell the women that I'm working with and even myself is that if you fail to plan, you're basically planning to fail. So again, it is a lifestyle Um, you need to look at your week and be prepared. So what that usually means is a little bit of meal prep. You don't need to do anything crazy, but at least having your breakfast prepped for the week or have an idea of, you know, have those groceries in your house so that you have something easy access and you're setting yourself up for success. So like the three biggest, you know, recipes for breakfast are, you know, really great smoothies that, have some frozen avocado, spinach, frozen berries, almond milk, that, you know, plant-based protein powder, um, having those really high quality smoothies that are going to keep you feeling full until lunch. 
or, you know, the little egg bites or egg muffins um, or chia seed pudding. Those are basically like my three go-to breakfasts. And, you know, the smoothie takes like five minutes to make, right? On Sundays, I'll make egg muffins if that's what I'm having. So I can just grab those um, or chia seed pudding. You can make a few of those at a time and they're super quick and easy to make, right? So having that breakfast prepared so you can grab and go, right? Most of us are busy in the morning. I totally get it. Trying to get out the door on time. I'm not a morning person. I'm always like chronically late. <laughs> so those are, you know, having that solid balanced breakfast, grab and go is number one. Number two is honestly, I usually eat leftovers for lunch. Like it's just the easiest thing for me. Or if I'm feeling like productive, I'll maybe put like a soup in the crock pot and like, you know, that'll be my lunch for the week. So having that preparation, it doesn't have to be like, you know, you see these complicated meal preps on Pinterest and, you know, like four course like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you want to have that balanced meal and you want to be prepared for it. Um, so that's number one. And then number two is, you know, pairing, if you are taking supplements, getting that into a habit. So certain things should be taken with food. Zinc, for example, should be taken kind of on its own. So I usually take that around lunchtime, but breakfast, lunch, and dinner is usually when I take most of my supplements. Um, magnesium glycinate, which is good for nighttime, I usually take with bed. But having that into a routine and a habit and even those little like pill packs can help. Like that say AM PM, mm -hmm. those are very, very helpful, even though you feel like you're an old person. <laughs> um and yeah, I mean trying to get in steps. Yeah. Um exercise, yes, is important. So we don't start with that originally in the program, although it is very helpful. A lot of women I find they get into this all or nothing approach. And when they find, oh, they miss a workout, now they're going to eat really bad. And usually with PCOS, what you eat is about 80% of the effort. And the exercise, while it's very important, um, I would give it a lesser, you're never going to out exercise a bad diet, is what I'm trying to say. So yes, movement is very helpful. And it can help you make progress faster. I think working on the diet with PCOS is number one, but yeah, even if you do little things like, you know, that cliche park your car farther away from the store, take the stairs instead of the elevator, like those things add up. And once you start eating better and sleeping better, you start feeling better. And then maybe you say, Hey, you know, I think I could probably, I have energy. Like, you know, I have energy to prepare these meals or maybe I have energy to do a 20 minute weightlifting session. Right. And that's going to, everything will snowball and you'll start feeling much better. Right. And you did mention before that um, there are particular brands that you recommend for um, when you're talking about environmental toxins, you said there mm -hmm. are some brands that you recommend. So could you um, tell us what those are? Yeah, definitely. So I use the EWG app, which isn't hundred percent perfect, but they do have like the EWG database where you can kind of see the ingredients on something. So it's not hundred percent perfect, but it's better than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So the brands that I use for my skincare and my makeup, I like the brand beauty counter. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love them. Um, they, you know, for example, Canada bans about 600 ingredients, beauty counter bans over 2,500. And it's amazing. So I used to be like a diehard Sephora person. So I'm all about, you know, that quality, that, you know, high performing makeup and skincare. 
Um, that's not cheap, but Beauty Counter has been the absolute best alternative that I can find. I love them. When it comes to cleaning products, I use a lot of a brand called Attitude. They're made in Canada. They're very affordable. You can get them on Amazon um, or even Norwex. I like the Norwex cloths. If you've ever heard of them, they have um, a special thread in there made of silver that mm -hmm. actually disinfects things. Um, those are the main ones that I normally use. Mm. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones. Yes, I, really. I, I think I think those are the if if you can choose just if if anyone finds it difficult to make a transition when it comes to your environment, it's like pick the one thing that you do the most and start with that. So usually I recommend yes. um, toothpaste and deodorant because yes. you use them every day. You don't miss it. So changing those out for more natural mm -hmm. um, oh, alternatives. So, so toothpaste, I use a brand called Green Beaver, which okay. is really good. It's been like the closest that I could find that just, um, it just feels like normal toothpaste, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not super expensive. It's a little bit more expensive than like Crest or Colgate or whatever the big ones are, but it's not too bad and it just tastes and feels normal. And I actually use the one with hydroxyapatite over fluoride. Mm -hmm. Fluoride is actually a neurotoxin. So we want to be careful with that. Um, but yeah, starting with things that you use all the time, like if you're not a skincare and makeup person, then like, don't stress over that. Maybe let's switch your laundry soap or mm -hmm. your dishwasher tabs or, mm -hmm. you know, those, your floor cleaner, especially if you walk around your house barefoot, mm -hmm. you don't want to be using that pine saw or Mr. Clean on your floors because your feet are very absorbent right so that kind of wraps everything up I, I feel like there's so much information mm. put into there but um is there anything that you think that we've missed out is there anything that any loss any final messages you want to leave for anybody listening um so no matter where you are at in your pcos journey i just really want women to know that there is hope and I know a lot of women either don't know where to begin or they feel like they've tried everything. Um, and that's because there is a lot of conflicting information out there. Um, and there is no one size all one size fits all approach to PCOS. So I would say what would have saved me a lot of time, money, heartache, like I had several losses and miscarriages and, you know, devastation along the way, you know, money spent on supplements that I didn't need doctor's appointments, et cetera, et cetera. What really what has saved me was working with somebody who knew PCOS, right? Like I wish that I had found somebody like me five years ago, right? So even though your doctor, your fertility specialist, you know, endocrinologist has said, this is your only hope is to take these medications and, you know, they're not going to address the root cause. I wouldn't take that as a final answer. I would find somebody to work with and you don't have to do it on your own. Mm. I love that message of hope. It's great. It's giving everybody hope right now. Anyone listening? Mm -hmm. um, what's, what's the best way to follow you, to get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, so I'm mostly on Instagram and it's just charisma, K-A-R-I-S-M-A underscore nutrition. Um, if you, you know, follow me and send me a DM with the word planner, I actually have a special gift for your listeners. So I have a PCOS to pregnancy fertility planner. I normally charge uh, 50 bucks for it, but I'm happy to give it away for free um, for your listeners. So it's over 40 pages. It walks you through a checklist to boost egg quality, um, getting rid of toxins in your life, recognizing and optimizing ovulation, 
There's a symptoms assessment tool in there and a list of my favorite PCOS fertility foods. So you can have that for free. Um, you can check out my website, just charismanutrition.com. Or I also have a Facebook group just called PCOS Fertility and Weight Loss. Lovely. And I'll put the planner details into the show notes so that people can mm-hmm. find it easily. Um, that would be so good for people to have that. Yeah, there. they can get really stuck in. Amazing. Cool. Uh, well, oh, Carly, that was so lovely. That was such a fantastic conversation. You really know your stuff about PCOS. Um, and I just know that you're helping so many women out there. So thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful for it. Well, thank you very much for having me on. This has been so fun. Um, and I hope I'll talk to you again soon. I'm Tamara Walpole, and you've been listening to Your Body's Way. If you haven't already, please subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast. You can find me on Instagram as Tamara Walpole Nutrition. Join me next time for some more juicy information on how to help you on your journey to your best self yet. Your body's way is the only way. Chat soon.